be obliged to earn bread. He did not dwell on this, but the thought just flitted through his brain. The doors would be locked and windows barred in the store that was now his, and he would lunch at the club afterwards. He was popular there. He had a jovial geniality about him, and a habit of offering drinks before they could be offered to him. That, too, was good for business. Ten minutes strolling brought him to the end of the shops and cafes that formed the street, and now the road ran between residential houses, each detached and with a space of garden surrounding it, where dry-leaved palms rattled in this wind from the sea. He was approaching the flamboyant Roman Catholic Church, to which was attached a monastic establishment, a big white barrack-looking house, where the Brothers of Poverty or some such order lived. Something to do with St. Mark, he vaguely remembered, who by tradition had brought Christianity to Egypt nearly 900 years ago. Often he met one of those odd, sandal-footed creatures with his brown habit, his rosary and his cowled head, going in or out of their gate, or toiling in their garden. He did not like them. Lousy fellows he would have called them. Sometimes, in their mendicant errands, they came to his door, asking alms for the indigent copts. Not long ago, he had found one actually ringing the bell of his front door, instead of going humbly round to the back as befitted his quality. And Cresswell told him that he would loose his bulldog on the next of their breed who ventured within his garden gate. How the fellow had skipped off when he heard talk of the dog. He dropped one of his sandals in his haste to be gone, and not sparing the time to adjust it again, had hopped and hobbled over the sharp gravel to gain the street. Cresswell had laughed aloud to see his precipitancy, and the best of the joke was that he had not got any sort of dog on his premises at all. At the remembrance of that humorous incident, he grinned to himself as he passed the porch of the church. He paused a moment to mop his forehead and to light a cigarette, looking about him in great good humour. Before him and behind, the road was quite empty. Lights gleamed behind Venetian shutters from a few upper windows of the houses, but all the world was in bed or on its way there. There were still three or four hundred yards to go before he came to his house, and as he turned his face homewards again and walked a little more briskly, he heard a step behind him sharp and distinct, not far in his rear. He paid no heed. Someone, late like himself, was going home, walking in the same direction, for the step followed him. His cigarette was ill-lit. A little core of burning stuff fell from it onto the pavement, and he stopped to rekindle it. Possibly some subconscious region of his mind was occupied with the step which had sprung up so oddly behind him in the empty street for while he was getting his cigarette to burn again, he noticed that the step had ceased. It was hardly worth while to turn round, so little the matter interested him. But a casual glance showed him that the wayfarer must have turned into one of the houses he had just passed, for the whole street, brightly moonlit, was as empty as when he surveyed it a few minutes before. Soon he came to his own gate and clanged it behind him. The eviction of the Levantine merchant took place in the morning, and Cresswell watched his porters carry out the tawdry furniture. A few tables, a few chairs, a sofa covered in tattered crimson plush, a couple of iron bedsteads, a bundle of dirty sheets and blankets. 
He was not certain in his own mind whether these paltry articles did not by rights belong to him, but they were fit for nothing except the dust heap, and he had no use for them. There they stood in the clean, bright sunshine, rubbish and no more, blocking the pavement, and a policeman told their owner that he had best clear them away at once unless he wanted trouble. There was the usual scene to which he was quite accustomed, the man's wife snivelling and slovenly, witch-like and early old, knelt and kissed his hand, and wheezingly besought his compassion. She called him Excellency. She promised him her prayers, which he desired as little as her pots and pans. She invoked blessings on his head, for she knew that out of his pity he would give them a little more time. They had nowhere to go nor any roof to shelter them. Her husband had money owing to him, and he would collect these debts and pay his default, as sure as there was a God in heaven. This was a changed note from her mutterings of yesterday.